Welcome back to Everything is Public Health. I'm MJ. And I'm Cass. Insanity is defined as trying the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And stupidity is making the same mistakes over and over again. And I find myself in both those definitions. We wanted to do an episode about the census because it's a very important survey. It's a very important thing. And I, you know, I thought to myself, yeah, I could figure it out in a few hours. Oh, oh. <laughs> and it happens again and again and again on this podcast. <laughs> Why do you set yourself up for disappointment? You should know that these topics, like people spend their lives, yeah. st- like their work lives on these topics. It's not yeah. something that MJ can, there's not like cliff notes for the census, unfortunately. No, there is not. So I quickly find myself like, oh, wow, this is, I cannot figure this out in a few hours. But I did my best. And today we're going to do a very high level overview of what the census is and why it's important to public health. So we're talking about the U.S. Census today, which many of us know is a nationwide survey where they essentially count everyone in the country every 10 years. Know that it's not a survey of a small sample that is then extrapolated because a lot of times like in research, this happens. Like you can't count the entire population. You only have resources to count, I don't know, 10% or 20% of the population. So you do some fancy stats and then you extrapolate to the entire population. But this is not it. They really do attempt to count everyone, which... The more I think about it, the more incredible it is. I so I have as a adult person who, you know, had to think about the census, have had two opportunities to complete or participate in the census. The first time I was living in a an apartment in Philly and they had set up a table outside sort of in the lobby. And as people were coming and going, they were checking off apartments and like having helping people fill out the forms. Oh, nice. But. When we checked in with them, we said, oh, we're in apartment 1014. Yeah. And they said, oh, well, somebody filled it out for 1014 already. I said, well, we're the only two people that live there (laughs) Uh and neither one of us filled it out. So what's going on? Right. (laughs) You got the wrong person. And they said, oh, well, we can't change it. So yeah, sorry, move along. And then I'm just realizing, you know, there was a lot happening during COVID in 2020. I don't know for sure that we got census paperwork to fill out in 2020. I did. It was in the mail. Yeah. No, I don't know that we did. Okay. Interesting. (laughs) I was trying to recall, did we get census? I, as far as I can recall, no, I handle most of the mail. So it's likely I would have seen it, but I don't know. Anyway, it's all fuzzy, the before and during times. So anyway, moving on. Obviously, when you try to count everyone, obviously, you're going to have issues like this. And then they do try to improve every 10 years, like their methodology and stuff to keep up with the technology. Yeah, but we were really not trying to improve in 2020. (laughs) Like this may be something you're planning yeah, to get to. But like we made we the royal we (laughs) made things worse. Yes. In 2020 than in prior years. So I definitely thought about the 2020 census. But uh, this is for the bonus where we get to have spicy takes. So right now we're just going to talk about All right, I'll I'll refrain. (laughs) The general census in this episode. So yeah, it's a very technical and logistical feat, and it's not easy to count everyone. The two most common problems with the census people need to know about, I guess, it's overcounting and undercounting. Now, undercounting, I think it's more intuitive. Like maybe you couldn't reach those people. Maybe those folks didn't have a permanent address. Maybe they are seasonal workers that travel a lot, or maybe they don't want to be found, right? Well, we talked previously about all of the things that you require a physical address for, yes. right? Sort of like having an address and how important that is. We didn't talk about the census at the time, but I'm glad you raised that undercounting issue. Yeah, it's a huge issue. But how do you overcount? Uh, I don't 
Think about it. How do you overcount? Well, I guess it depends on intention. Like, I don't want to get too spicy, but there could be efforts to undercount certain population or demographic groups and then overcounting other demographic groups so that we, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying <laughs> to be a very careful. spicy, maybe you anyway, want to <laughs> I think it's hard to overcount or like double count, right? So if you count at the same place twice or so, for example, our kids spend some of the time here, they spend some of the time with their mom. And so depending on when the census was filled out, it's possible not, again, I don't think we got a census form, but whatever. Um, it's possible, you know, the two kids could have been counted here and they could have been counted at their other house when they were there on the weekend or something. So exactly, there's the potential for unintentional counting. And then there's the potential for people to intentionally double count or overcount folks of a certain demographic group to try to maintain the racial hierarchy. Okay, I'm going to stop. Right. For this episode, let's give the census people the benefit of the doubt. And let's say that they're not doing any intentional under overcounting, but overcounting can still happen with the reason that you just explained. One of the biggest reasons for overcount is multiple homes. Yeah. So if you own multiple houses or if your children have separated parents or if you have if you own a property versus renting a property, older folks tend to fill out repeated forms. So sometimes if they get two forms, they would fill out both forms. And obviously, like if an area is very uh, nice or well maintained, there might be more resources, more census resources directed to those neighborhoods. But if you think about all these things, like multiple homes being like the biggest one, that naturally favors some group of the population. Do you know what I mean? Like, who owns multiple homes in this country? <laughs> right, right. It's not. I'm. You know what? I'm gonna. I'm gonna hold save my it, comment for myself because <laughs> I just. I'm gonna say something <laughs> that I either will regret saying or we'll talk about on Monday. But you're right. There are biases, intentional or otherwise, biases in who might show up as being counted more than once. Listeners, if you don't know, we have a spicy episode on Monday, so stay tuned for that. <laughs> I feel like if you're in public health academia or if you're a public health researcher, you must have used census data either directly or indirectly at some point because it's just that foundational and important. Uh, have you worked with the census data before? Absolutely. So we use it for uh, state demographic data when we're looking at changes in policy over time and the impacts. We've also used it for more local level analyses. So we've done some work in Baltimore looking at the impact of demolishing a vacant building and we needed to control for demographic characteristics. And so you can sort of look at census track level information by demographic groups through like the American Community Survey, which builds off of the census data. Yes, it's a huge file, I would imagine. I've never seen the census files before. So the data that I personally have used is is a little bit more streamlined. We're looking sort of top line uh, state level demographic pieces, but other folks who are far smarter than I am with like GIS mapping and and using R, which I would love to be able to say I know how to use R, but I don't, I can't. <laughs> anyway, folks work with that data and I'm sure those files are massive, but that's above my intelligence level. <laughs> but yeah, like the census data is so important to public health research that if you are a professional public health researcher, you have probably used it in some form or fashion in your career. That's just, it's just how impactful it is. But the importance of census for public health is so much more than just research. The data from the census is used in multiple things, starting with apportionment. What do you think that means? Well, I, I hope I know what this means. <laughs> I'm going to feel embarrassed if I get this wrong, but that's when you determine how many representatives folks get, right? You'd have a certain number of people and for each 
number of people you get a representative. And so you draw congressional districts and maps based on the census to then say who can have how many representatives in a state. Did I get that wrong? Please don't tell me I got that wrong. That is right. <laughs> I don't know okay. why I paused. <laughs> I was like, so dramatic. I was like, oh man, this is it's going to be super embarrassing. So we have two houses of parliament. Oh no, wait, that's wrong. No, we're uh, we not have called two, parliament. <laughs> we have two uh, <laughs> levels in the Congress. <laughs> we have oh, the yeah. Senate and we have the House of Representatives. So Senate is uh, two seats per state. So there's 50 states, obviously. So there is a hundred senator that is set. That never changes unless we get a new state, but that never changes. Come on, Puerto Rico. Sorry. Yes, we, we need to do a lot of spicy bonuses for this episode. But the House, on the other hand, there is 435 members of the House. And those seats are distributed to each state via their population, which means those seats are apportioned by the census every 10 years, meaning that an accurate census reporting is crucial for accurate state representation in the House of Representatives. Now, if we put on our conspiracy theory hat and we think, hmm, does that mean that the census can alter how many seats states have? That is exactly what that means. Absolutely. That's 100% what that means, which is why it's important that we're accurately counting how many folks are in each state. Yes. And, and each district, right? Because congressional maps get redrawn every 10 years mm-hmm. to ensure sort of distribution. And, and we need to do a whole episode or maybe just a bonus on gerrymandering. Oh, we will. Uh, that's coming up soon. Perfect segue. You might think to yourself, okay, so the seats of House Representative, it's it's more politics. It's not public health enough. But you mentioned another thing, which is redistricting. What is redistricting? In the political context, you mean redrawing the lines? Like the first thing that came to my mind, which is totally off base, is redistricting for schools. I was like, oh, well, you know, depending on the population <laughs> size, like kids get changed school district or like feeder schools or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm assuming you mean based on the population distribution you redraw district or sort of congressional districts, that may mean that your elected official is not the person you voted for because suddenly you're in a new district. Yeah. So congressional district is something that I don't think people think about enough because usually when people think of, they think of the city they're in, they think of the county they're in. But there is another thing called congressional district that is drawn in a way that may not reflect, for example, city boundaries or county boundaries right it's it's another layer or neighborhood demographic like neighborhoods right often overlap or don't accurately line up with different city maps and they use the census data to help them draw the districts however as we sort of alluded to it's not a sterile process there's still people involved in drawing the district lines which we will get to in a future episode called gerrymandering but theoretically in an ideal world the census data would help inform make what's the like make like objective unbiased informed decision about where the population is and theoretically, that's how districts are strong. Right. But obviously, there's people involved. There are people involved. And I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole, but I just want to say the people in power are the people who draw the maps. Correct. And they draw the maps to try to retain power. So in a state or locality where Democrats are in charge, Democrats try to draw the maps the way that keeps them in power. And same with Republicans. Like, it's not just one political party doing this. But I I get sort of a lot of emails from our older woman around everything that's going on, which I really appreciate. And she had sent around the or the proposed maps for Annapolis based on the census. And 
the map options, there are some crazy stuff. I know this is not gerrymandering, and I'm going to stop after I say this thing. <laughs> but or it's not the gerrymandering episode, I should say, because this yeah. is gerrymandering. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there are these like weird little squiggles where there'd be two sort of generally square shaped districts next to each other, but the top district would have like a weird little river of like another district snaking in to try to get that group into this other district or to keep them out of the first. It's very weird what people do. Anyway, moving on, this is based on the census and the census is important and it's important that we have accurate information. Yes. So the two big reason, I guess, is apportionment and drawing help drawing the district map. But you might think to yourself, hey, that's still too political. This is not public health enough. Like, how does the census impact public health? Well, the last thing that we're going to talk about today is the census is used to make funding decisions. So an area with more people, right? This is not always the case, but generally they have a formula to determine like who gets the funding. And generally speaking, an area with more people get more funding. That's sort of the general trend. Obviously, is more complicated than that. So I looked into what sort of funding decision does the census influence? And very quickly, I was directed towards the census website, the census.gov website, and they have a very handy little document saying that, oh, the census is important because it influence these funding decisions. How many do you think there are? Like this list is a lot longer than I thought. Well, I mean, I'm just thinking of all of the different kinds of funding that's coming from the federal level to states, state level to localities. I mean, even basic things like education, public housing, Medicaid, food, you know, like school lunch kinds of things. Uh, I mean, oh, yes, I, I can't even like it's too hard to even comprehend all of the possible things. Like, yeah. I would imagine almost everything that one could think of is impacted by the census and the funding comes from that. Yeah. And more than 130 things, right? Either grants or programs or whatever. Okay, well, I'm glad I didn't try to list them all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's more than 130 of these like grants, programs, whatever things that their funding is directly impacted by the census level data. And if you total up all the fundings that they receive, the census is directly impacting the distribution of $689 billion of funding. Each year, right? That's not every like year, a, yes. <laughs> just to clarify, it's not that every 10 years they're impacting this much money. The census is something that touches on all of these pieces each year. Yes. And just for in case folks don't know, we do the census every 10 years. And then there's really, really smart statisticians yes. who try to sort of estimate based on 2020 data. What do we expect to see in 2021, 22 moving forward until we get to 2030 and they do the census over again? So that first count, you get one chance to count this right, and it has implications for the next 10 years. Yes. And they do like smaller surveys during the decade as well. Yeah. The current population survey, the American Community Survey, there are little pieces that they use to try to fill this out. But yeah. a lot of it is interpolation from the census and then sort of moving forward, complemented with these smaller pieces. Which means like if your census is inaccurate or, or you know, let's, let's not go there yet. But let's say if a, a place loses population or if a place suddenly has a population change, that could be like a few million dollars or even a billion dollars of funding just gone because your census doesn't reflect that, oh, there's less people here now. So there's actually natural redistribution of funds, but there's also like, if your census is not accurate, that could be a unnatural redistribution of funds. And that's not good. Right. Obviously, we're not going to list 130 programs that's impacted by the census, but let's go through a few to sort of just illustrate just how 
impactful the census is in terms of like public health and in terms of just all of our lives. So, oh, do you want to guess the program that receives the most funding that is impacted by the census? Oh, man, I have no idea. But the pessimist inside of me wants to say like the prison system. You are a pessimist. The prison system doesn't even crack top 10. Okay. (laughs) The department is HHS. Well, HHS, I'm assuming, you know, well, that's the Department of Health and Human Services. So I don't know, something related to healthcare or I don't know, Medicaid? Close. It's the medical assistance program, which I believe is part of something, but it's the medical assistance program that receives the most funding that is impacted by the census at $311 billion a year. Are you looking at I'm what- trying to figure out what the medical assistance program is. Okay, here we go. Here we go. So this is according to the Department of Human Services in Maryland. Their medical assistance program goes to support CHIP, the Children's Health Insurance Program, Medicaid. There's a Medicare buy-in program long-term care medical assistance, and and then, and then it said forms, which it, those are just the forms that you need to, to fill it out. So I was like, forms? What's forms? Anyway, okay. So Medicare, Medicaid, CHIP, any kind of medical assistance program. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. All sort of medical assistance program. They get $311 billion impacted by the census. Second place, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. SNAP. This is SNAP. Yeah, I was like, yeah, this that's is SNAP, SNAP, right? Yeah, this for. is SNAP. Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP. Ooh, does it go, what about TANF? Temporary Assistance for Needy Families? TANF is seventh place in terms of fundings. But yeah, so Medicare Part B, third place. Highway Planning, fourth place. Did not see that coming. No, that makes sense. Like transportation, road safety, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Federal Pell Grant, which I believe is education. Yes, that's grants and scholarships for college. Oh, that's right. The one I didn't get. (laughs) Um, (laughs) National School Lunch Program is sixth place. Wow, that's a lot of money. $18 billion for National School Lunch Program, which I guess makes sense because there's a lot of kids that needs eating, feeding, sorry, not eating. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're going off the rails here. My point is the census impacts all these public programs that impacts our health. So that's why the census is public health, because it's directly related to how much funding the programs get, which directly relates to how good the program is. My original plan was to do like a deep dive into the history and the mechanism of the census. But as I mentioned at the top of this episode, uh, MJ significantly underestimated his abilities in trying to digest what the census is in a few hours. No, no, no. You overestimated your ability and you underestimated the task. Yes, I also can speak English. (laughs) That seems to be the case. But we will return in the future, I'm sure, to sort of discuss maybe not the census in particular, but just how important surveys are. Like so much of public health is built on surveys. Yeah. And if it wasn't for those data, none of us would have a job, I guess. Yeah, no, it's it's really important information. And I think we'll certainly come back to this if for no other reason than a lot of information is coming out now about some of the flaws and the challenges with the 2020 census. And I think we'll have a lot to, to talk about. Listen to the bonus. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everything is Public Health. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and spread the word so more people can learn about the awesomeness of public health. New episodes are released every Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please give us a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcast. It does help the show immensely. Send us questions or comments to everythingispublichealth at gmail.com. Reach out if you think we've missed an important perspective or suggest a future episode topic. Follow us on Twitter at everythingisph or Instagram at everythingispublichealth. 
You can also find me on Twitter at Dr. Krafasi. If you want to support the podcast directly, we have a Patreon page. You can find the link in the episode description below. And remember, everything is public health. Everything is public health.